Now more than ever, you need a source of news you can trust. And you have such a source in WYPR. Members are our most important source of funding, and we need you now more than ever so we can continue to keep you informed amid the pandemic with honest, accurate journalism. You can make a pledge at WYPR.org. If you're a sustaining member, consider an additional gift or increasing your monthly pledge. We could not be here without you, and we thank you so much. I want to welcome everyone to a new podcast called One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. There's a crisis here in Baltimore, and it's called addiction, and I can attest to this personally. My name is Theo Hill, and I've been in recovery for 18 years. Uh, My addiction started uh, at the age of 18. Um, My father was in the military, and we moved around a lot. And we moved to Cherry Hill um, here in Baltimore. And when we moved to Cherry Hill, I noticed some guys up at the shopping center who were kind of like nodding, had knits on. And... um, I had already been introduced to heroin, so I kind of knew that that's what they had. And then one one day, finally, I got enough courage to ask somebody, and um, they went on and um, let me uh, have some only after I paid my money, though. From that point on, I fell in love with heroin immediately. It was a daily struggle just trying to keep up with the getting and the using of the heroin and uh, eventually it landed me with some serious legal problems. And uh, a couple of times it got me near death. I had to be brought back around with paramedics and Narcon, and, uh, but it still didn't stop me from using. I finally got to a point where my daily use had, had me um, up in an um, abandoned building and uh, I had a spiritual awakening. Uh, God took the veils off my eyes and I got an opportunity to see that I was in an abandoned room with all kind of dirty diapers and dirty needles and trash everywhere. And uh, I had to ask myself, are you really trying to live like this? And um, what happened was I said a serious prayer to God. I asked God to please help me. And when I asked him, that was the most sincere prayer that I ever had asked God. And I went to a program up on um, North Avenue called I Can't, We Can. And they took me into the program that day, and then they asked me if I needed a detox. Now, my body said, yes, you need a detox because you don't want to go through the pain of withdrawal. However, the spiritual side of me said, you need to go through this detox one more time so you won't forget the pain and the agony that this addiction has brought upon your life. So, man, I don't recommend this to anybody. Uh, I went on and went through withdrawals right there in the house at 2110 Allendale Avenue. That was on a Friday, and that Monday, I felt just a little bit better. And I was able to build on that from there. Now, recovery is an uphill journey. And uh, I knew that in order for me to find this new way of life or, or embark on a journey of this new way of life, I had to break it down into one day at a time. 
I tell you my story to begin this journey that we're about to embark on together. A journey to understand addiction and recovery from the perspective of people like me who are experiencing it in their own daily lives. In the episodes ahead, I'll be hosting one-on-one conversations with people from all walks of life, people at different points along the path of addiction and recovery. We'll talk honestly and personally about our triumphs and failures along the way. And hopefully, as a listener, you'll come away with deeper understanding of addiction and some new ideas and strategies for dealing with recovery. Today, I have my first guest, who uh, is a good friend of mine, and his name is Glenn. And um, we're going to discuss recovery and addiction, and um, I'll introduce Glenn to you right now. Glenn? Yeah, thanks, Dio. Uh, glad to be here. I feel kind of honored to be your first guest. Thanks for having me. Glenn, can you um, tell us um, how you got into addiction? You know, my story started out pretty basic. I grew up in Baltimore City in East Baltimore in a little dead-end street called Boone Street. I didn't come from a broken home. I had both mother and father in the home. I had other family members that lived on the block and grew up having a normal childhood. As I remember, I was always kind of rebellious, um, always a rule breaker, didn't listen so much to my parents. Um, when they told me to stay on the step, I went around the corner. Um, Growing up in my family, there was a lot of alcohol abuse with the males in, in the family. Uh, my father, my uncles, my grandfather on both sides. So I developed a taste for alcohol at a very young age. The alcohol led to other drugs, marijuana, I popped pills, I dropped acid. I did most drugs from A to Z right? Uh, Until around the age of 15, I was introduced to heroin. And heroin took me on a ride that I would never want to go on again. Due to my heroin addiction, I became homeless. It destroyed my family. I was in and out of institutions for the majority of my adult life. Until in 2008, I made a decision to change my life, and I went into treatment for the last time. And come this November, I will be celebrating 10 years of recovery. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you uh, help me out with um, a little uh, consequences of your using? Uh, We'll start with relationships. Uh, Due to my using, I had been in a marriage for 11 years. Uh, Due to my addiction, after 11 years of marriage, uh, my wife finally reached her last straw and we separated and then we divorced, right? Um, But if I may, it's a flip side to that, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. After being divorced for 15 years, um, while I was in treatment, I thought I was telling myself, my wife, something that sounded real cool and real slick. 
uh, talking to on the phone, um, I was like, you know, tomorrow I'll have nine months clean. And she said something that was even <laughs> slicker. She mm -hmm. said, uh, well, if you want to impress me, get a year. Right. right. So I got that year and some. And the same woman that divorced me after 11 years of marriage, we're getting ready to celebrate, I think it's six years of marriage in March. That's fantastic. Um, how did uh, the addiction affect your work? Initially, um, I could use mm -hmm. and still go to work. Uh, but then it got to the point that I needed to get a fix in order to go to work. You know, early on in the, my addiction, I was what they call a weekend warrior. Okay. Right. I would get paid on Friday, get high Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go to work on Monday. The weekend started starting on Thursday, then Wednesday, then Tuesday. Mm hmm and then it, it reached the point that in order for me to go to work, I had to get a fix. I had to get out the gate, as they call it, mm -hmm. uh, just to function. And then I couldn't keep a job because right. the getting and the using became my job. Exactly. You know? mm -hmm. Was it conflicts with your boss sometime? Oh, pretty much all the time uh, because I would constantly call out. I would leave work at lunchtime to go get a fix. And sometimes I would come back to work, sometimes I wouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about your finances? Were there consequences with your finances, too? Oh, major mm -hmm. consequences. I couldn't keep a dollar in my pocket. Every dollar that I got went to uh, supporting my habit, you know. Mm -hmm. Bills didn't get paid. Uh, I would get paid on a Friday and be broke on a Saturday and hadn't paid any bills. What about stealing? Was stealing involved in this? Yeah, um, I wasn't too good at mm -hmm. what they call boosting, boosting. going in the stores and uh, shoplifting, but I was good at robbing. Mm -hmm. I was good at uh, stealing people's packages. Mm -hmm. um, I was very good at going into an abandoned building and stripping it of everything of value. Right. Right, right. Okay, what about your health issues? Did it affect your health? Yeah, it did. Um, fortunately, I say that I'm pretty blessed because I came out of my addiction with no secondary health problems. I, I was exposed to um, the hep hepatitis mm -hmm. C virus, but my immune system fought it off. Now, did it affect you emotionally? Yeah, I stayed depressed, mm -hmm. right? I would say I would self-medicate because as long as I was using, I didn't feel the depression. I felt like I was normal. I could fit in with everyone else. But as soon as that high wore off, I was back to being depressed. I would isolate. I would get anxious. And today it's not like that. What about legal issues? Oh, man. <laughs> I sometimes say that my treatment facility was uh, Central Book and mm -hmm. Baltimore City Jail, uh, ECI. I would be in and out of jail constantly. Um, I remember times that I would get out of jail on a Monday, and Tuesday, 
evening, I will be right back at Central Booking, you know, um, due to my addiction. What about your spiritual life? Um, when I was actively using, I was pretty much spiritually dead, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a relationship with a higher power. Right. I didn't want to talk to anybody that was talking religious right. talk. Right, right. Uh, I just wanted to get used, you know. Mm-hmm. Anger at God? Yeah, um, I believe at times I probably didn't even think it was a God. I was introduced to the church at a very young age. I was actually um, a member of the choir when I was a child. But over the years, I started distancing myself mm -hmm. from the church until eventually I thought God turned his back on me, right? But <laughs> now today I know God was already there. It was I who turned my back on him, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many years were you in active addiction? Uh, well, I um, went into treatment for the last time at age 52. I started using on a regular basis around the age of 12. So you do the math. Wow. How did you make that decision in 2008 about coming into recovery? You know, I, I went to uh, jail in 2008. And I stayed in jail for 90 days, right, for two little petty charges. And the whole time I was incarcerated, I um, told myself that this was it. That was I wasn't, it. I wasn't okay. using anymore. I wasn't using anymore. But as soon as I was released, as soon as I hit the bricks again, the first thing I did was go to Pennsylvania and Lawrence and copped. Okay. Um, that's part of the nature of the disease of addiction because you it, you weren't being treated. Right, right. So you actually, you didn't know any other way. Yeah, that's, that was my comfort zone. That's what I was used to. That's what I did. But after getting that first blast up in me, um, I guess I had a spiritual awakening right. also. I saw the road that I was about to embark on once again, and... I decided I couldn't do it anymore, right? I went to a safe place, which was my mother's house in Randallstown, mm -hmm. and she accepted me, let me stay there. And this was during the Thanksgiving holidays. So after the holidays, my mother told me that I needed to go somewhere and get some help for myself. So I contacted a treatment center that I had been in back in 2005. Mm -hmm. and. Trust me, in 2005, I did everything opposite of what these people told me to. So I didn't get any treatment. I didn't get any recovery. But in 2008, they allowed me to come back, and that's how my journey started. So how does Bill to tell your story today? Um, early on, it, it was kind of difficult for me to talk about myself. But over time, I've become a little more comfortable with telling my story because I think me telling my story might inspire or give someone else that's in a position that I was in, it might give them a little hope, you know, that there is recovery, you know. That's great. I kind of feel um, that every time I tell my story, 
it kind of reflects on why I'm in recovery because of where I have been. And to hear your story uh, along with mine is just, uh, it gives me more motivation to, to keep this journey of recovery going. Um, I agree with you one thing, I do not want to go back to active addiction. And you know, uh, Theo, someone once told me that I need to play my tape back on a constant basis because if I forget where I've come from, mm -hmm. I'm subject to repeat that again, mm -hmm. and, and I, I don't want to do that. Right. I definitely don't want to go back there. After you went in that treatment facility and you got out, what kept your recovery going? Let me say this. First of all, mm -hmm. I, I stayed connected with that treatment facility for about three and a half years. Fantastic. Right? Um, that did a great deal for me because that gave me the structure that I so badly needed in my life, right? Mm -hmm. But um, even while I was in treatment, I had to start unlearning some things because I was so caught up right. in the street life that right. that's how I thought, right. that's how I acted, that's, that was my behavior. I had to learn the concept all over again of something as simple as saying good morning to someone, you know. I had to learn how to manage my finances a little better. Right. Um, I had to rebuild my credit because actually I never had credit mm -hmm. because I would make a bill and not pay it because all of my money went to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had to learn how to live life as, quote, unquote, a normal person would live life. Okay. Know? So that took some work right there yeah, um, yeah. by becoming uh, open-minded. Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to take some suggestions. Um, you um, know, without being so critical. and Right, right, right. I'm always right. Yeah, the, <laughs> I learned that the whole world doesn't revolve around Glenn. You know, I learned to emulate other people. They told me when I went into treatment to get with the winners, right? Right. If you want to stay here, get with the winners. And, and that's what I did. And I started emulating them, doing the things that they were doing to stay clean. And it worked. Yeah. I learned it to worked. ask for help. You know, right. um, I learned how to get a, a debit card, open a checking account. And I opened a bank account with five bucks. And every time I was getting a, a check once a month, and getting a stipend from the treatment center because I was a house manager for them. Right. Every time I got that stipend, I would put it in the bank. I would put it in the bank. The money started adding up. So I had a little financial foundation when I left treatment right. to be able to do some things. You know, that's very important. So you started learning new skills, mm -hmm. and you were open-minded and willing enough to to take suggestions. Yeah, and um, ask questions. Right, which is very difficult for uh, an addict to do because of the nature of our disease. Yeah. When are you still, do you still have cravings and and dreams about using after 10 years? I do. I haven't had a, a drug dream in quite a while, but I do have thoughts I wouldn't so much call it a craving, uh, but a thought would pop in my head 
just out of nowhere. Man, mm -hmm. it's a, a hot day, a cold beer would really be right. good right now. Or I could be on the street or driving right. um, and see someone uh, nodding, right? And I will have a flashback. Man, I remember that feeling, you know. But as soon as I have that type of thought, I replace it with a positive thought of, you know where that's going to take you. For real. You know? mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I still have thoughts. I still have dreams. I don't necessarily say that having a drug dream is a bad thing, you know, because what it does for me, and I'm only speaking for Glenn, mm -hmm. uh, it makes me strengthen my program. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, I have very powerful drug dreams myself, right? Like where I feel like I was using, and then I would wake up and say, oh man, thank God you back. you're in recovery. But I don't stop there. I call somebody, let somebody know, get to a meeting, um, expose that. Because I know the disease of addiction lives in the dark oh, and yeah. it gets exposed in the light. It's at those points when you're alone. It's is when, when those thoughts, yes, when yes. you're most vulnerable. They say an addict alone is, in bad, is in bad company. Be you know, so it's very important to you know get with somebody that's in your uh, in your network. Yeah, you know, um, Theo. One of the things that I did um, that got me to the point where I'm at now is I got involved in service right? mm -hmm. in the community. Yes, you know. It initially started in the fellowship that I belong to. Mm -hmm. I'm in a 12-step program. So that's where my service started. But that branched out into the community where I would help my neighbors. I would volunteer for various different causes. And now I actually am a productive member of society. And I work on a daily basis with people that's just like me. Mm -hmm. So my job is... One of the things that helped me stay focused and stay in my recovery. Right, you know? that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I took that same path as far as the service is concerned, and uh, I've done a lot of research on this disease of addiction. And um, one of my fellowship sayings is, "You have to give it away in order to keep it." Yeah. Um, in closing, I would like to ask you. Um, what your thoughts is today about somebody that's listening to you on this topic? Um, if the person is caught up um, and struggling or if you have a family member that's struggling with the disease of addiction, reach out to someone that's in recovery. You know, know that there is a better way of life. Um, if I did it, anybody can do it. Glenn, I would like to personally thank you for telling your story to this podcast. Um, remember our title, One Day at a Time, in recovery in Baltimore, and try to help somebody. Theo, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure, and I hope I did help someone today. You did. I would like to thank everyone for joining me on this first episode of One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. I'm Theo Hill. Let's talk again soon.